again for the only podcast that talks about genitals more than your other favorite podcast, This Week in Urology. I'm speaking, of course, about Two Girls, One Podcast, whose hosts have to be constantly reminded that my eyes are up here, buddy. Allison Goldberg and Lindsay Ford. Yo, yo, what's up? It's me, Lindsay. And me, Allie. Welcome to Two Girls, One Podcast. Where we talk about cool, weird, and interesting communities on the internet. And today, we are... It's its a little out of the box for us, but we're very excited. It's very relevant at this particular moment. We are speaking to the founder of World Vasectomy Day. So, million-dollar question to kick it off. <laughs> Has Matt Silverman had a vasectomy? Hey, I'm here. Thanks for introducing me. I'm the producer of the show. Thanks for having me on. We have to. <laughs> I'm sorry, what, what was the question? Have you had a big V, the big V? Big V? Of course. Of course. I don't want more children. What are you, crazy? Really? Have you had a vasectomy? Yes. Have you had a vasectomy? What, what are we doing here? Oh, my Obviously. God. Matt, you're in charge of the applause. Hit the I applause no, button. I have no s- sounds on this fucking video oh, version of this podcast. Sorry. So this is all okay. I have. Here we go. Okay. Woo! <laughs> we are here celebrating Matt Silverman's vasectomy. Oh, my God. What a good man. What a good man. Do you want to be like Matt Silverman? Tweet us. I'm at Allie Goldie. Matt, well, you never share your hands. I think it's at Matt underscore Silverman. That is correct. If he can do it, so can you. I'm not surprised that you did that because (laughs) everything I know about you lets me know that you love your wife and you are going to do what you can to help make this family a good and easy place for her to live in. (laughs) This has nothing to do with love or my wife. It is two children is more than enough children for any household to be responsible for. I agree. My older brother has three. I think that's too many. You shouldn't have more children than hands. Which one, which, which of his kids do you want to get rid of, Allie? (laughs) I'll tell you, I'll tell you. Okay. Um, (laughs) No, I'm kidding. They're great. But like, you shouldn't have more children than hands. It's crazy. Also, the world is overpopulated. Okay, Matt, let's hear your vasectomy story. I made an appointment and laid on a table and then uh, there was some some discomfort, let's say. Okay. Okay. What year was this? Sometime within the year or so after our second child was born. I mean, and we've always known Mm -hmm. when you plan a family responsibly, you say, okay, we've had our children and are they healthy? Is everything progressing as it should? Okay. We, we locked in here and then, uh, and then you make the appointment. We're locked and not loaded. <laughs> Lovely. Am I the guest on this week's episode? You're the guest on this week's episode. You're the only person currently here with vast deference. So yeah, we're There's gonna ask vast you. There's a deference between you and us. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> I met a couple this weekend that does elaborate April Fool's pranks on each other. That is the relationship I want. Yeah. Wait a minute. They they subsequently do them on their children as well. Like (laughs) elaborate. Okay. But one year, the husband in the couple 
did a, a like April Fool's prank that was kind of braggy and it really upset the wife. And she was less than a year out from their kid, so still probably hormonal. And she was like, I'm going to get this motherfucker back. <laughs> she was planning this elaborate gotcha to him where she got urine from a pregnant woman in the neighborhood. No. Was no like set no. it up throughout the day that she was feeling a little bit nauseated. It was weird. <laughs> she was tired. At the end of the day, she was like, you don't think, no, I couldn't be. They have four kids. Their fourth child is still a bait, like still wearing right. diapers. Four right, is right, right. way too many. What yeah. is happening? And so he was like, have you taken a test? And she was like, no. He's like, do you have one? And she's like, yeah. And she's like, but I, I definitely can't. It's not possible. This prank is fucked up. It was, it Who was, is it's this so neighbor elaborate. that was like, yeah, here's my urine. <laughs> Best neighbor ever. It's yeah. so much more elaborate than that. It's she okay. posted on Facebook and she said, I need some pregnant urine. I'm giving you the, the streamlined, but she, she did all this stuff. She had to keep the urine in the fridge because it was all day, right? And at the end of the night, after he had put all of the kids to bed, fed them dinner this day because she was working late. So she, she knew. She's like, I'm going to get back. He's going to be insane. Like, he's going to be frazzled. He's not even going to be able to question if I'm lying or not. <laughs> she comes back and she's like, I'm still not feeling quite right. And he goes, okay, well, I'm going to walk the dog. They also have a dog. Fuck, no. He comes back. She does the test. She pours the, you know, refrigerated oh, pee on the test. God. They put it in the cup. They're waiting. She was like, if he touched the cup, he would know that it was cold. So he didn't touch it. He's just uh -huh. stressed out. These are no longer couple goals for me. This is next level. I don't like it. <laughs> okay. So then he looks at it and he's like, oh, my God, I'm such a fucking idiot. And she's like, she's like, what? He's like, I should have gotten a, a, a vi, a vi, a visectomy. And she goes, well, first of all, it's a vasectomy. And he's like, I'm going to be working until I'm 85. Yeah. You know, we're going to have another girl. We have three girls. We're going to have four <laughs> girls. I'm going to be working forever. I'm such an idiot. And he's like pacing back and forth and back and forth. Oh it's so God. funny. And she's crying, laughing. He thinks she's crying. Yeah. <laughs> These people deserve each other because they're both insane. Yeah. It's so funny. And then he's like about to yell and wake up all the kids that he's just put to sleep for hours. <laughs> and then finally, their second youngest had been saying, I have a spider on my head. April Fool's like all day long. <laughs> and then the wife goes, I think she said, I have a spider on my head. <laughs> Got him. And he goes, what? And she goes, April Fool's. Nice. The genius of this is that if she just came out of the bathroom with a phony test, it would be like on April Fool's Day. It's like, mm, but like no. he was part of the testing. Yeah. And he saw it with his own eyes. How could this not be Honestly, real? Yes. like this story's too much. Like, are they perfect for each other or are they heading towards divorce? I don't know. No. <laughs> At this point, this story is 15 years ago. So I think they're oh. solid. Isn't it amazing? Oh, wow. And so when did he get his vasectomy? Oh, right. I forgot to <laughs> that ask. Day. But I'm sure that they have one by now, right? Can't believe they had four. Well, today we're talking to the founder of World Vasectomy Day, which is a movement, really a global movement. And so we're going to hear that story. And and if you don't want to be April fooled like that, you could go ahead and get one of these bad boys. Yeah, get one. Get one now. Because also just in general, like that was a funny story, but 
Unplanned pregnancies are no joke. <laughs> well, Matt, do we have some some good scrotal trivia? Oh, I sure do. <laughs> Today we're talking about penises. Always. My favorite topic. I'm going to take you on a brief tour of a penis museum, the Icelandic Phallological Museum, which is located in Reykjavik and houses the largest display of penises and penile parts which is super weird because Penile Parts was the name of my high school band, as you know. Uh, please visit <laughs> patreon.com slash 2G1P so that I can visit this museum. Yes. This is my live stream. Oh my gosh. This is like birthright, but for Allie. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so this museum is curated by, sorry for the pronunciation, Sig Sigrar Hjartson. I think you nailed it. I Thank think you. you nailed it. Thank you very much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, a teacher and principal for 37 years and had long been fascinated by animal penises. Me too. Ever since he received a bull's pizzle as a child, uh, he is quoted in various media outlets saying, quote, collecting penises is like collecting anything. Uh, you can never stop and you can never catch up. You always need to get a new one, a better one. I think we can all relate to that. Honestly, I relate to that. Like, Honestly, that's my new motto for how I'm going to go about my dating. penis collection, yeah. yeah. It's like Pokemon, <laughs> you gotta catch them all. According to the museum's website, uh, the collection includes 280 penile specimens from 93 different species of animal, including the largest known penis, which is that of a blue whale, though the specimen is just the tip, measuring 5.5 feet long, weighing 150 pounds. That's just the tip of a blue whale's penis. The full thing, <laughs> which is not in the museum, would be 16 feet long. Wow. But conversely- I need to Google image this. <laughs> <laughs> very small penises like that of a hamster, which you need a magnifying glass to view in the museum, okay? However, there is one elusive penis that the museum has yet to add to its collection. It's our husband's. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the, the one we have yet to add to our own personal collection. Yeah. Oh, I see. Sorry. So you're doing your own uh, your own trivia there. Correct. <laughs> you, you are correct. It is that of a, of a human husband. Uh -huh. Though there have been four men over the years who have been very eager to donate their penis and have it displayed for all, all eternity. One of them died at 95 years old old and was like, yes, please donate it, but the surgery did not go well. The cadaver surgery, so he didn't even... They need to do it right away while the body is still warm. They couldn't get there quite quite fast enough. What happens? What happens? There, uh, well, here's even better. There's another gentleman who's like, I want it to be in the museum so bad, and I'm willing to donate it while I'm alive. No, no, <gasps> He is no. sending pictures of his penis to no. the museum, decorated. Wait, decorated or decorated? Decorated, hey. uh, dressed up as Abraham Lincoln and Santa Claus, oh, and I think he got man. a tattoo on his penis too. Anyway, they will not accept live you know, specimen. A, a live specimen here. Yeah, it's like jackass. Don't submit your own <laughs> videos. We do this shit ourselves. Is he just kidding? Like you couldn't possibly love your dick so much that you wanted that you a museum, but that you also want to not have it. Yeah, it's a great question. I. I don't think he's kidding, but yes. These are the excuses that men use to not be monogamous. It's like, I just feel like I need to share my dick with the world. <laughs> and I'm like, well then cut that shit off. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I will. And I'm I like, will. we gotta break up. All right, so just for <laughs> listeners with a, who need a little bit of background, uh, Lindsay's still, you know, understandably a bit bitter about the guy she was seeing who it turns out is polyamorous. No, but right. I'm not bitter. He's just bad at it. That's not like what he's Practicing isn't polyamory. It's like a lack of self-control. Right, right. I just want our <laughs> listeners to know we're not necessarily against polyamory, but we are against 
D-bag polyamory. <laughs> no, just bad. You're just bad at it. Some people are bad at it. And yeah, that's, there's that's a right way want. to do it, and there's many wrong ways to do it. Okay, yeah. continue. So while this museum is waiting for the real human specimen, there are instead many molds and sculptures of human penises to fill the void in the museum. They're always there to fill the void. What? <laughs> 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 these are exhibits in the museum, okay? Two of these are real. One of them I made up. Which of these artistic renderings of human penises is not in the Icelandic phallological museum? Are you prepared? Uh-huh. Barely. <laughs> A, 15 penis sculptures of the Icelandic men's national handball team. Because they won the silver medal at the 2008 Beijing Olympics, penises are cast in a silvery material. There's a photograph of the team above the exhibit, but the curator assures us that the order of the penises in the display does not correspond to the order in the photograph so as to preserve the anonymity of each member. But every member of the team 15 got their dick in a cast yes <laughs> and we're like let's do this together <laughs> well you know what's funny about that is that you can't be the guy that's like I don't want to because then everyone else is like why and he's like no reason you know what I mean <laughs> he's like you're sure it's going to be anonymous though like they won't know which dick is mine <laughs> yeah okay hilarious that is choice A or is it B is it one 3D printed penis that was modeled using images from 490 different German adult film actors from Pornhub. Belgian 3D artist Nick Irving, hopefully I'm saying that correctly, used AI image processing software to combine as many German penises together, then printed out what he believes is the statistically average German penis. Okay, and the trivia is what is not actually in the museum? Mm -hmm. Yeah, which one did I make up? Well, you didn't make up that one because you didn't know how to say it. Feels like it should be in the museum. Okay, continue. Or is it C, the plaster cast of Jimi Hendrix's penis created in 1968 by Cynthia Dorothy Albritton, an artist and longtime music groupie who donated the penis to the museum shortly before her death in 2022. She was known for making many casts of rock star penises, including members of Led Zeppelin, the Kinks, and the Rascals, but Hendrix's phallus is by far, of course, the most famous and is now on display. I thought you were going to say the most talented. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps that is true. I want to say that A is not real, but that yeah. one's so much more outrageous than the others that, like, is there a fake out going on? You know? Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. A, yeah, I don't know. You had all those names in there for the other one. I don't know. I got to go with A. The others yeah. make too much sense. Like, they should be in the museum. But if they're not in there, they need to get those like, ones. How is the whole sports team anonymized in there and not Jimi Hendrix Day? Okay, just for diversifying our options of maybe us getting it, I'm going to say Jimi Hendrix isn't in there. All right, so Ali says that the Icelandic men's handball team is fake. Lindsay says Jimi Hendrix, a cast of Jimi Hendrix's member, is fake. Nobody yeah. chooses B, the 3D printed German. No, that's that's definitely average. in there. That's okay. definitely in there. We will find out the correct answer after this very important commercial break. To the following listeners who have made a vast difference in our lives by donating at the $10 or more 
level, we say thank you very much to Wesley Cordell, Jerry Duran, Jessica Fox, Kathy Phillips, Matthew Scott, Melissa Elliott, William, Jessica Kybell, Ken M, and Kelsey Murray. You all are the best, and we hope you never snip your connection to us. $65, now $30. From the number one online destination for child care services, Craigslist.org. Attention, I'm babysitting this summer. $30 per child EBT approved. You don't show up on time, I drop off. Recommended that you don't try me. My services are from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. I will provide breakfast and lunch, but no dinner. So pick your kids up on time. If your baby don't have any baby formula, they will drink either 2% milk or almond milk. Boys will get examined at the door. I can look at the shape of a head and tell if they bad or not. Children with silver cavities are automatically denied. P.S. I hope your kids can fight because I don't break up fights or get in kids' business. Honestly, $30 is a good deal. Two meals? Are you kidding me? Is it $30 an hour or $30 for the whole day? I don't know. One of those is a great deal. The other, I don't know about. <laughs> Not so much. Especially if your kid's going to be a little kitty fight club. I want to know how you can tell by the shape of their heads if they're bad. <laughs> I need that material once again for my dating life. Like, how can I use the shape of his head? Especially, like, at this age, half the men are bald. I just need to know, how do I deduce things by the shape of their head? She sounds like a freaking genius. Like, mm-hmm. I'm into it. <laughs> I really think this is what we should do for dating. Like, I need to inspect your cavities, like, do a full body, like, checkup, you know. Right. Anyway, speaking of full body checkups, let us know about that day. <laughs> <laughs> the Phallological Museum in Reykjavik, Iceland, has a lot of specimens except for one important one, no human male penises. But there are sculptures and uh, molds. Two of these are really in the museum, and one of them is fake. Ali said the fake one is the Icelandic men's national handball team. And Lindsay, you said the plaster cast of Jimi Hendrix's penis. Nobody is choosing the AI algorithmically determined 3D printed German penis. The correct answer is... It's B. I got you. (gasps) What? Wow. Made it up. Wow. Wow. I have so many questions. You tricked us. You tricked us by saying that name wrong. Where did you get that name from? So that name, uh, Nick Everink. Sorry, Mm -hmm. Nick. Uh, That is a real 3D printer artist. But as far as I know, he does not work in the penis medium. He just does other cool art. The handball team, that's a funny, that's a cute story. Yeah, that seems reasonable. Does it? <laughs> they molded their penises, but then it was anonymized, and that's in the museum. So they found out what's weird is, like, you know there's a penis in there that is the smallest and the right. largest. Y'all, right? I googled these Icelandic dicks, and wow. <laughs> they are mostly above average. <laughs> wow. And some wow. of them are fatties dude like what is happening (laughs) but several of the dicks what i want to see in person in the back third from the left 
it, it's got a little curve in it that I'm very into. That one literally looks like a mushroom. <laughs> it's cute. Like it's it looks cute. like they found it in the woods. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think that the one two over from that is too much. Wow. It's I don't too know. big. That's yeah, like the size of my that. forearm. Like, what do you want to do? Impale me? No, no good. And then there's one, the front and center one is the smallest, but you're right. It's still fine. <laughs> but it still looks fine. pleasant. It's I would, still have, fine. I would enjoy that I wouldn't one. be like disappointed if that arrived in my life. Um, I think that we need to put this link in the show notes so that people understand yeah. what's happening here. Yeah. Stack ranking. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. yeah. Great. Wow. Great. Uh, Matt, my day is made. This is a wormhole. I'm going to go down. You know, I generally hate trivia. <laughs> this this is dream wow. trivia. This was dream trivia. Wow. I mean, I need to I need to go there. Patreon.com slash 2G1P. I, I need to go. Yeah. You could just Venmo me. I'm at Allie underscore Goldie on Venmo. I just need like mm-hmm. airfare and I'm, I'm good. I'm good. But I'll document the whole thing. I promise. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, I feel like uh, we should interview our guest before I go down these Google wormholes. So Agreed. Agreed. Okay, listeners, it is time to welcome our guest, Jonathan Stack, a documentary filmmaker and the co-founder of World Vasectomy Day. Hi, Jonathan. Hi. Hello, everybody. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. All right. So uh, let's dive in. How did you come to create or co-found World Vasectomy Day? I had spent my 90s making documentary films in a lot of like really tough places in the world and it's a lot of time spent in a prison in Louisiana, in Harlem and drug addiction communities. And I'd absorb so much negative stories and so much human suffering. I started to like my, my own life was like not doing great. And I started to really think about gaining control over my own life. And I focused on the question of fertility because I had quickly, I ended up with two children from two different women. And I was just in a kind of a mess, just trying to catch up to my life. And I decided to sort of put a little closure into my own relationship to my fertility, decided to get a vasectomy and thought it would be cool to make a film about the process of getting one as a way of sort of the storytelling of of self-empowerment. But I was very resistant to getting a vasectomy. And I, being a filmmaker, I was like, I started thinking of ways to like, to make the story better. And I met a doctor he was traveling the world and I decided to make a film about his trip around the world, made a movie called The Vasectomist for the BBC and realized after all these years of making movies about human suffering, and, and which a lot of it was caused by men, kind of this toxic masculinity run amok. And I thought I was looking for positive stories and realized that on the day of their vasectomy, when I would ask them literally while they were on the table, And I would ask them, why did they choose a vasectomy? And inevitably, the word love came out. I'd never really heard men say the word love so consistently. Like the decision to get a vasectomy, which was a decision that went against the sort of the social norms, that it was somehow the perception was, if I got a vasectomy, I would be less of a man. I wouldn't be quite as virile or as fertile. I'd lose power. I wouldn't be able to enjoy sex or make my partner enjoy sex as much. This sort of idea was countered as the men were choosing it with this sort of very beautiful articulation of love, something that they could do for their wives, for their mothers of their children. And these were the men, they were coming up with these great stories, and it was time after time in culture after culture. So it was almost regardless of class or culture or creed. And I was in Kenya on this documentary film shoot with this Dr. Stein, who's the co-founder of World Vasectomy Day, we were on the border of Uganda, 
And I met this guy named George Mboga. He'd come 24 hours by bus or truck. And he really wanted to do it because his wife had almost passed away when giving birth to their second child. And he was one of 16 brothers and sisters and really wanted to offer something to his own children that he hadn't received himself, which is the attention that they were able to, he could, he would be able to offer them. And that night, in that crazy way that art and, you know, activism come together, I woke up and I said, what if I could aggregate that one moment, take advantage of all of the tools that were becoming available in the internet? What if I could aggregate that into a single celebration and bring it together and be able to channel that positive energy? And I literally, that first night, I reserved the URL. I thought, I'll call it World Vasectomy Day. And the next day in this after the men got their vasectomy, I had them go out behind the clinic with my camera and in like three or four different languages, I asked them to say, I support World Vasectomy Day. And that was May 9th. And I remember flying back home and thinking to myself, what, what is even World I didn't even know what it was. Came to, to be alive. Okay, let me see. I'm going to see if I can convince 1,000 men in 10 countries by 100 doctors to do 1,000 vasectomies in 24 hours. And I and that's that's how it all started, and that was in um, October of 2013, and it just kind of exploded from there. And now we're 10 years later. This is the 10th year. You know, it's really grown into the largest male-focused family planning movement in the world. I had gotten a little bit tired of making movies. They, they felt disposable. I felt like I wasn't using all the tools that were at our disposal. It was like, how do you convert? A, a listener into a participant? How do you, you know, help people join in and feel like they're part of something? Give them the sense that their voice mattered. So I love the idea of World Vasectomy Day as a mixture of this sort of online movement building, but grounded in a very personal decision. Wow, that's amazing. Since launching World Vasectomy Day, what are the stories that stay with you the most from people who have participated, doctors or patients? At the heart of it, it's the sort of this, this opportunity for men, and, and I say men in particular, because there's so much focus on negative masculinity and, and, and plenty of expressions of it as well. So that when you give men an opportunity, like kind of the, the realization that like what you do matters, this idea that your decision to take care of your own fertility, to make sure that you don't create a child that you don't desire matters so deeply, but also like the sense of like, that you matter to your community or that you matter to the planet, to, that these things give people a sense of like, hey, those little personal choice that you make is something that actually affects everybody. The same time, this idea that, that you're, the ability to enjoy sex with no fear of impregnation is also something that you hear a lot about. You know, in a lot of places like in Africa, the word vasectomy, the same word is used for vasectomy as for castration. So there's a sense of stigma. So overcoming that stigma as you educate, mm. you create a story that people have a role to play in it. And then you have to feed back the story to them so that they can see, like visually experience the value of their own participation in the story. And then all of a sudden, and then they start sharing that with other people and we've seen the world change. And we saw it just recently with the, you know, the overthrowing of Roe v. Wade and then just seeing a huge number of men in the worlds that we uh, circulate in saying, hey, you know what, we've been thinking about getting a vasectomy and we really see that this is our responsibility now. Lovely. I did not expect a lot of this. Uh, 
especially like the men around the world saying the reason was love. Um, I wanted to get a little bit into some of the nitty gritty of it. There's about a thousand doctors worldwide involved. Is that right? Yeah. How did they get involved and how do they help build this movement? I, you know, it's funny because the first year I tried to find the thousand men and it was like, how do you find a thousand men on the planet who want to get a vasectomy on a given day? Like, and then of course, I mean, you know, why in retrospect, it took me so long, but one day I woke up and I said, duh, I got to get the doctors because the doctors will find the men. You have to get your members, in this case, your doctors, to share with other doctors. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, you've got 100 doctors and then 150 doctors, and you get the most active doctors. So we created like an association of vasectomy doctors, and that association is the heart of World Vasectomy Day. And we do, you know, quarterly lectures, building a directory, you know, and if you determine or dictate to a certain extent the context, the narrative, the story upon which these doctors join in, you know, and you tell this progressive story of mattering. You attract that quality and you attract that quality doctors. I spent 17 years working in that prison in Louisiana. Angola prison is a very harsh prison where the people who enter the gates, when I got there, 96% of the people never left. They died in prison. And during those 17 years, we built a TV station in a weird sort of a way. It was like an extraordinary laboratory to really look at the way media creates community. The primary goal was to help the men who were in prison to imagine a story that would get them out of jail. I really practiced how do you use stories as like tools for liberation, but how when you collectivize that story, it just resonates and creates more power and opens up, in this case, it literally opened up the gates to the prison. So before there was a World Vasectomy Day, I had already made this commitment to use sort of technology to build a movement to, to reimagine our people's relationship, in essence, to their own existence. Wow, that's that's incredible. And from what I understand, the first World Vasectomy Day, there was a vasectomy performed live and live streamed around the world. Yeah. Can you tell me how that idea came to be the central like moment of the day? At the heart of World Vasectomy Day is this sort of conscious act of love in, one, in which one makes this decision to shift their relationship to their own fertility, you know, but to do it in a kind of almost like a public statement way that if in fact, if I wanted it to be about a celebration of responsibility and of an act of love or of courage, but I mean, we've done live vasectomies at Kenyan National Theater in Nairobi, where they usually have opera or orchestra. And we did 50 vasectomies live on this stage. Obviously, nobody saw any body parts. We kind of like celebrated the men in a way that made it public, you know, like, and then you think of Africa, you know, where there's a kind of tradition of scarification, things that you do that are represent transformative moments in your life, right? Where you're like going from adolescence to adulthood or, you know, fertility rituals. And I really started to think of like a vasectomy as a kind of a new ritual, you know, one that transforms your body and of course doing it live, and using all the technology is like, whoa, much more powerful. We're in Mexico now. And so we're talking with the Ministry of Culture and the Ministry of Health to do World Vasectomy Day, where the Aztec did, you know, where they would do human sacrifice. But so like at the right at the base of the pyramid. Wow. We have a, a mobile vasectomy clinic based in Iowa. We traveled on a road trip through America. We did vasectomies in the trip along the way. We weren't able to do them live on the World Vasectomy Media, but, but the trailer 
arrived at Times Square in Manhattan. So for 24 hours during World Vasectomy Day, we connect to 24 different countries around the world. And we bring men to talk to men, doctors talk to doctors. It's like a celebration of all the different aspects and elements of what goes into building a movement all come together and say, hey, all of this is needed. That nurse, that filmmaker, that artist, that man, that wife. And using the internet, I mean, you could sit back and say, all the negatives about the internet and you know there are plenty of things to talk about about that but in terms of like the power it gives us and and it's just like okay game's on how do you choose which doctor is the doctor live streaming their surgery that day like their vasectomy on on world vasectomy day there's an aspect of the to, to any storytelling where everything is like metaphor you know it's like what, what do you choose you choose the absolute best like you want to watch the best tennis players in the world play. And, they, and you know, they, they don't represent every tennis player. They represent an aspirational level of like excellence that you could sort of see it and experiencing it as something you can root for or participate in. You know, and when you're making a documentary film, you cast for the most intense characters. And with the World Vasectomy Day, we look for the, for the most skilled, most passionate, most articulate doctors, the best mm -hmm are the most passionate. Yeah. So there's a lot of, I don't want to say misinformation about vasectomies, but yeah, that's probably the right word. Yeah. What are some common misconceptions that you can debunk for our listeners? Coming from men, the biggest fear they have is somehow or other post vasectomy, they won't have as, you know, they won't be as virile. They've gone from being these great lovers and now they're going to become bad lovers. I try to convince most men. I said, trust me, the least of your worries and your skill set as a lover is, is your vasectomy. You probably got, you got, you got plenty you can learn. Yeah. If, if you're worried, that's something to look at pre-vasectomy as well. There are resources for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they all fit, fall within this idea that you're going to be less energetic. Your erection is not going to be as strong or whatever you're going to be. You're just going to be less of a man, right? And men and women believe it. It's not just men. Now, part of it has to do with the fact that it feels like, you look, to make the new life, to have that capacity is pretty powerful conceptually and in reality. So losing that or giving that up, so it's a, it's a big change in your life. Of course, it's nonsense. Getting a vasectomy has nothing to do with that. It doesn't affect your erection. You're going to ejaculate pretty much as much. The only thing that's cut off when you get a vasectomy is is sperm, which is around two or 3% of liquid, you know, in your ejaculate, it's very little bit of it. So you're not going to notice the difference, you know, when you, when you have an orgasm, it's not a safe sex thing. So you still, if you're going to be promiscuous, you need to wear a condom, but if you're not wearing a condom because you're in a relationship where that doesn't need it, be more pleasurable. Hence the sex is better. You know, it's funny because in Kenya, for example, there had been a while where women, they were against vasectomy because their concern was men who get a vasectomy would be more promiscuous. Then mm. they passed a law in Kenya, 2014. Up until then, if you had a child out of wedlock, the child who was born out of wedlock had no right to your inheritance. But once this law changed, the law said every child who would have equal access to the inheritance, which meant that for the, for the wife, this would mean that their, their child would have to share the husband's wealth with this other child who wasn't there birthday, all of a sudden they were like, we like vasectomy. <laughs> we don't know for sure, but the little we've done the research, it seems that men who get a vasectomy, generally speaking, are more responsible overall. We did his research with around 5,000 men in Colombia and the men who had a vasectomy 
who were more likely to help with schoolwork or housework. You know, they were actually rated better partners by their wives in almost every category. There was just one complaint women had about men out of vasectomy, which was that they wanted more sex than the women did. <laughs> so, so it actually proved with opposite, which was, hey, kind of nice to have sex without having to worry about pregnancy. It's kind of like the fact that people who floss twice a day have fewer oral problems. It's like, well, which came first, the flossing right. twice a day or the personality type that's going yeah. to floss to twice a day? <laughs> like, the vasectomy doesn't make you a better person. It just makes you just probably you were a little more conscientious person to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So what about whether or not it's reversible? It's not promoted as reversible. And for good reason. It's not a guarantee that it will work. You know, the vasectomy mm -hmm. is the, probably the, one of the most secure forms of, of birth control. Nobody should get a vasectomy thinking, I'm going to get a vasectomy so I can reverse it later and have mm -hmm. a kid because it just doesn't work that way. The longer you wait after your vasectomy to reverse it, the harder it is that for it to succeed. So after five years, it would be like a 60, 70% chance of success. But after 10 or 15 years, it could be 25, 30%. And some of it depends upon how the vasectomy was done. It is possible to reverse and there is a lot of success, but don't get a vasectomy except knowing that your family is complete or you don't want any children. Amazingly, not maybe surprisingly, there are a lot of young men choosing a vasectomy who don't have kids. And that number has gone up quite radically in the last five years. We've observed among you know the doctors who work with us, that's just a phenomena that's happening. There's a sense of pessimism about the planet and the future. And I think since uh, COVID, it's gotten even worse. So you've seen those numbers go up in that demographic. Oh my God. As a sort of, just as an observer of the of human life, seeing it through the eyes of like younger and younger men choosing a vasectomy, not wanting to have kids. It's like telling you something about going on that's like disturbing. It's sort of like a big shift for the like positive light of the world, right? Like young men who traditionally haven't had to think about what it means to bring life into the world are like, wow, I don't want to risk burdening someone with the type of world we got going on right now. The positive is to be conscious and that this, I mean, it'd be nice that people really had a sense of hope and optimism for the future. God, I, I, I feel bad that young people really feel like the future is going to be worse than the present. And so bringing a new life into existence is, uh, is you know, irresponsible. And I grew up in a time in history where, as it turned out, maybe a bit naively, but I really believed things were just going to keep getting better. Yeah, so did we. We were definitely told that, like, we were taught that each generation lives in a better world than the previous one. Yeah. And it's translating into into this issue around fertility, which I think, I mean, to be honest, when I started World of Sex, I, I literally thought it would be a one-year project. I just thought I was going, oh, I'll learn this. I didn't have a clue. Ten years later, I'd still be doing this thing. Part of what keeps me going is like, it just turned out to be like a really interesting way of exploring a lot of things that I'm interested in, both kind of intellectually from the content perspective. You know, it's like to go to another country and now I've done this 10 straight years in 10 different countries to really use this sort of narrative or the story, this experience to talk to men about the issues that are really most burdensome to, to us in all these different cultures. And then to try to like, as a challenge to figure out what is it that we share? What, what do we, because we know what divides us, but what things bring us together and how do we empower those things? 
And the one thing that I learned, which has been so compelling to, the, and, and I think at the heart of our success, you know, selling the idea of sterilizing men is not easy. And the internet is the, is the vehicle that we have to work with that. And that's exciting. But what, but, but what makes World Vasectomy Day particularly compelling to me, the dialogue and the conversations around it, around gender, around the environment. I did a series for the BBC about the inconvenient truth about human beings. I mean, I spent years traveling the world trying to find stories that I thought brought us together. And I realized was like a sort of an underlying desire that men had and women too. That, that the lives of their children be better than their own. Yeah. We get our doctors in Mexico to have a competition to see who can make the best video. And when you have two or 300 people making short little videos, TikToks, shit happens. Like <laughs> one of our TikToks had 5 million views. Wow. You, you can't program that. I won the grand jury prize at Sundance and my greatest success was produced by clinic in a rural village in Mexico which ended up with a million views, downloads in a day. That's the internet at its most exciting, liberating, democratic, and, and in this case, positive side of it. And, and it's to play in that space, to say game on, you know, let the games begin. Let's see what story wins out. As a woman, we, we are, you know, inherently socialized to know that at some point it's possible that something the size of a watermelon is going to come out of something the size of a dime. And we are, it's like the most sensitive part of our body. And we're just conditioned to know that it could be ripped apart at one point in our lives. And men that I know who are worried about getting a vasectomy are very concerned about like the most sensitive part of their body being in pain yeah. and how much pain it could cause. And what if I'm more sensitive than most men and it's going to hurt me more what kinds of things do you say to men who have that concern? Let's be completely honest about it. The level of discomfort around 99% of vasectomies is probably less than what women suffer monthly just from their period, right? It's like, it's discomfort. <laughs> this is what most men report. It felt uncomfortable. They took ibuprofen and they felt okay. Like, it's, it's, it's kind of like, you don't really want to say it, but for the most part, you don't have to say because you're basically saying, hey, I understand you're worried and concerned. It really isn't very much pain and it's not going to last very long. And yeah, it's some, but just keep in mind, you know, your partner suffers a heck of a lot more. Some guys continue on about their pain. Sometimes you say, hey, you know what? Remember in the Titanic, how after the Titanic goes down, Leonardo DiCaprio like gets out, he holds the boat up. Mm -hmm. I said, are you the kind of a guy who's like, would hold the boat up or you're the kind of guy who would have stayed on the raft and thrown the woman in to suffer. <laughs> you decide. I don't know. There are guys who would rather their woman suffer immensely than they suffer experience any discomfort at all. <laughs> I got to put a, I got to put a spoiler tag for for Titanic on this episode. That's going to cost me a lot of pain and suffering. <laughs> Thanks spoilers. a lot. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Sorry about that. I hope anybody doesn't know. <laughs> I just think like I wish there was a little more suffering. Maybe it would be like a little more heroic then. It's kind of the only embarrassing part about this whole story about World Vasectomy Day is really how little suffering there is. And you're just saying, hey, instead of it always being the woman's responsibility, I'm going to take on this one. And if you're, in your, if you're in a committed relationship and you know you don't want more kids and your wife is now in her 30s, but she's still got another 10 or 15 years of fertility ahead of her and she's taking some sort of hormonal-based 
or she's got something in her body to prevent pregnancy, you're virgin on unethical. I mean, just plain wrong. It's just unhealthy. It's unfair. And it's just, it's, a, it's just, there's no excuse. I Amen. love that perspective. I love Amen. that. Nobody <laughs> thinks about it that way, but it's so true. Nobody except women. <laughs> Men are so pathetic. And I got to say, as a group, we are. But we, almost all the vasectomies are done on Fridays because men like the weekend to recover. The men get like the amount of support the men get from women including getting to watch TV all day. That's why vasectomies go up during March Madness or Super Bowl Sunday because they get their vasectomy on the Friday and then it's like licensed to do nothing. So for the next two days, they sit and watch sports on the thing while their wives bring them beer and iced peas to put on their, their balls. <laughs> <laughs> the key to world vasectomy success is, is what one man is afraid to do. A thousand strong does not hesitate. So when we do this big public events, I just love that about men. It's like, you know, hey, we're on this, like, we're all going to get vasectomies and we're going to like, you know, make a difference for the future of the planet together. And part of that was is because the internet gave you the chance to do real-time storytelling. You weren't just documenting the stories. You were constructing the, the pathways in which the stories came to fruition. Yeah. As we wrap it up, I just wanted, you've touched upon this, but if you could just succinctly tell our listeners, who do you think is the ideal man to get an, a vasectomy? Who should be considering this? The ideal man, I mean, the most obvious is that he, he needs to be ready for it. It has to be voluntary, has to be informed. It should be somebody whose family is complete. That could be no children, or it could be, you know, as many as you want and feel that you c can bring into existence. You know, what, what that means, you know, some are are 22 and have four kids and shouldn't have any more. They don't want any more kids. One guy came to us. He was just come back. from. He didn't have any kids. He'd been in the war in Iraq. He couldn't find a doctor at first to do his vasectomy because he was only 22 with no kids. And he looked at the doctor and he said, look, doctor, I, I was considered old enough to kill somebody. Why am I not old enough to decide I don't want to bring children into the world and this is the way I'm going to make that decision and I feel like I should have that right. I think as a parent, and I've got kids who are of that age, you know what I want them to have kids? Yeah, at least selfishly, just because I want to have grandchildren. You know, but do I, would I judge them harshly if they decided they wanted to get a vasectomy? No. If you really don't want to have kids, this is a great way to avoid it. Yeah. Great. Well, if you are interested in getting a vasectomy, learning more about vasectomies, connecting with people who have had one or doctors that do them, where should people go, Jonathan? To the website, worldvasectomyday.org or wvd.org. We're fixing it up constantly, but all that information is somehow available in there. Write us at info at wvd.org and we'll find you a doctor or we'll just share information with you or put you in touch with other men. Info at WVD.org or WVD.org. You know, you, there's a place to send questions to doctors. There's questions and answers. And then pretty soon we're going to have the directory up and running, which will give you the chance to find a doctor near you, assuming there is one. <laughs> and if not, we'll help you find one. It's not that expensive. It's certainly a lot cheaper than raising a kid. <laughs> As they say, I think one of the billboards Dr. Stein put up in Florida was... $500 one time, $500 a month for the next 18 years. You choose. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you guys.
Honestly, I like the viewpoint of men taking it upon themselves to do a very easy thing to help women not have to pump hormones in their bodies. Yeah. It's so interesting how it is just like assumed totally normal for women to do that and bizarre for men to get a vasectomy. And I love that he called that out. Like, why is that so normal for us to literally have like a copper IUD installed into our bodies, right? Which is the only non-hormonal way to prevent unwanted pregnancy in women. Mm. Right. Or pumping us full of hormones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's considered completely socially acceptable. That's fine. I also love that there was a male form of birth control that was tested. But it was discontinued because the men complained that it like that there were Caused side effects. the same like, exact yes! side effects as women's. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I know. Out of control. But now there is also a fully non-hormonal male birth control pill. There is one. It mm-hmm. hasn't been. It's not like fully approved yet. But I hope that that is going to be like when I have a male child, I will be putting them on that as soon as <laughs> as soon as any children their age have their as periods. As soon as they pop out? As oh, okay. soon as children their age have their periods. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to police you, but you're not going to be out here making a baby. <laughs> the men should go on birth control and women should get their eggs frozen as their high school graduation gift. <laughs> uh, I agree. For real. Anyway, uh, well, I think it'd be amazing if our listeners started sharing their own vasectomy stories. That's something I would love to hear about, read about, you know, join the movement, be vocal if you've had one. You can pop into our Discord anytime to discuss <laughs> anything, but also your dick, you know. So um, that's discord.gg slash 2G1P. I'm at Ali underscore Goldie across social media. I am at the Lindsay Life, Lindsay with an E across all platforms. I realize that I say I'm at the Lindsay Life, Lindsay with an E every time. Like maybe that's a part of it. <laughs> it's not. I'm just letting you know how to spell it. Listen, yeah, no, I'm A-L-L-I. You know, it's two L's, it's an I. It's important information, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. You can also tell us your feelings about vasectomies as a voicemail, that number is 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6LIT. I think we should also warn people, we're, we're never going to answer it. So don't get too nervous. Like, we're not going to answer. You leave a voicemail <laughs> and we get to hear it later and it's beautiful. Oh, you can also email us, 2G1podcast at gmail.com. And most importantly, whether you've had a vasectomy or not, please visit patreon.com slash 2G1P. Yeah, baby. Hearts are faces see you next time two girls one podcast is hosted by allison goldberg and lindsey ford then snipped in all the right places i mean produced by matt silverman in new york city this episode was edited by avital ayler production assistance is provided by the podglomerate this show is a production of the daily dot the number one source for in-depth reporting about life on the internet. The Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe. Recommended that you don't try me.